Hello, I'm Melody Asani. I'm Julie Burns Walker. Welcome to the Butterfly Forecast. Today, we're joined with Saul Guy and look at What Are Resources, where he shares his new film, The Death of My Two Fathers, with us and shares the process and the journey that led him there. Saul, it's so good to have you with us. So happy to be here. Great way to start the day. Well, um, Julie watched your movie last night. Oh, wow. I cried my eyes out from the very first moment. Your film is so dense. It's such a trickster of a film because you think you're just listening to you as the narrator and sharing, and you're very personal and engaging and inviting and warm. And yet it's rapid fire intense with, I feel like you're this master weaver because you're sharing your personal story while you're sharing your father's story, while you're sharing African-American history and you don't hold back, but you allow us to see the tapestry. And that tapestry is like the bigger picture of so many people, except it's just your story. I just could not stop myself from like having to push pause, cry a while, okay, push play. Okay, push pause, cry a while, push play. You know, when um, Melody first talked about you years ago before I met you, she was talking about you as this extraordinary creative, as extraordinary friend and artist. So I already had the setup to respect you. But when I saw this film, I was like, oh no, he's not just an artist. He's a transformer. He takes things and he creates something evolved with them. That is quite an art to itself. I don't really know how to respond to that except to say, you know, it touches my heart and thank you. And thank you, I just for taking the time to take it in and to see that, to, to feel that it's resonating with people in this way. Um, mm. That only people who are being introduced to me, to my family. It feels good that there's something in it that people can relate to, you know, that are outside of my experience. I mean, I think that's the, the most simple, like I've been so, I feel like I've led such a fortunate life, which is woven together of these experiences. And some of them very difficult, you know, most, a lot of them more difficult than, than uh, at the time than you would you'd think why you're going through these things or why you're having these. And then the gift of being able to, in some way, share them. You know, I think that's what the expression of art has always been for me. My experience is wishing the people I love or the people that I admire or the, the things that hurt me in the world could, could have this experience because they help me. And so finding a way to, offer that back has kind of been uh, really inspired and then sharing something, you know, or putting something around you. Even the film was like, it's like the only way I could go into that process to like watch my father's tapes after 20 years or go to visit my family in Kansas City was to make something with it. I didn't really, uh, I have held no ambition for this film. It's a project that the project I've done in my entire life that I have held less ambition for. I just was, grateful for the process. Yeah, I think that's so beautiful that you went on this journey to figure out how to process 
something that happened to you in your life. And then during the journey of that process, you had the thought that maybe this process will help other people too, that there's something bigger here. And I think that's what happens usually when we go through a process of trying to heal from a pain. I think it connects us to the greater whole of like, I'm not the only one that's going through this pain. I've just found this small little random curvy road of how to get Mm -hmm. to a place. And maybe if I give people this map, they'll find their way through it too. Mm. 100%. I mean, that was the kind of the, the ask along the way, like either very directly or maybe indirectly with my family in KC is like, I want to share this. Mm -hmm. So we, would you, would you accept me in documenting this in some way? Mm -hmm. What inspired you to share the journey in the medium of film? Because it's a very brave exposure. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I think it was because I, um, I started in, in music and that was always a beautiful way to share. And I was, years ago, first time I went to Africa, I was, there was a document, we went because there was a documentary that was being filmed about uh, the rascals and we, we went to Sierra Leone. And at the time, I think I showed a piece in the movie, there was a, Canada was the number one place to live in the world and Sierra Leone was the last. And so they did a documentary on called Musicians in the War Zone. And when I arrived home, it sounds so cliche, but that trip, my father had just passed. It shifted so much in me. And what blew me away was, you know, I found myself with this short film, 30 minutes TV episode, 30 minute film, going into high schools and universities and colleges and speaking about my experience and watching people be transported to this place because the, and that the, the moving images, the music, like the story was like brought them into the experience I was talking about earlier. That's when I was really kind of taken by filmmaking and because my father had left these tapes, when someone passes kind of the thing that you, I think the thing you want most is to have a conversation with them. And so in a way, I wanted to have a conversation with my father to ask him some questions that I wasn't able to ask him as a young man when he passed and to share what I learned along the way from him with my children, with his grandchildren. So the visual medium that he had afforded me by having the courage to sit down and record those hours of tapes in 1998 with his old VHS camera, you know, <laughs> by himself in this, you know, the house that still is there where my, where my, his partner, my stepmom, he just did it, which is wild that he did that. And so it felt like the, the best way to honor him was to make a film. The film just felt like the widest, it felt like a container that could hold it all. Yeah. You've created a singular space in that film. I feel like when you are uh, viewing the film, you're actually with you, you know, in the journey. And I think that's uh, an unusual capacity to bring the viewer in the film. It seems to me you've like broken trail. We don't usually experience that in film. I wonder if you've considered doing more films of its nature or whatever nature, because, oh my gosh, you've unleashed something. Wow. I'm sure there'll be uh, another thing to, you know, something to make. I don't have no idea what that is. 
one of the things I've always admired about Mel as well is this kind of, I should think we share this, like a curiosity for different disciplines of creativity and, and, and spaces and kind of like enjoying losing your confidence at something. <laughs> you know, like, like kind of not knowing. Yeah. We're all making it up anyways, you know? And like, but I think that I've been really fortunate to try different mediums in film. I'm certain it will, will come around. I guess it'll have to come when it when it comes to make another film. The thing I'm grateful for is when you go into those unknown places and you make something that, or you assume a role that maybe you've never taken before in the process and deepen your, your creative practice, um, which ultimately I think is all we're doing here is healing through creative practice, keeping the creator at the center of our practice. That's kind of the, that's mm. the a lot of the work. And then being able to do that and then to see it and like to hear your comments or to receive from people, is it boosts your confidence? You're like, oh, I can do that. Yes. You, you, yes. you know, you don't know, you don't know. And then it, it lands and the, the story resonated. You followed it, you felt it. And that's me and all the people I collaborated with. But it's like, it's like, oh, I know how to do that. Right. It's a really interesting. And it's it, you say that kind of gently because you don't want to. I'm not saying it from a place of ego. I'm, I'm playing it from a place of confidence like oh I can do that and that gives you a certain capacity in this world completely because now you've opened up the design part of you it's not your ego your design part of you is like oh wow I can bring this Smushi do you relate to that do you enjoy feeling <laughs> like you don't know what you're doing and you're out on a limb no I don't <laughs> In some regards, I think what's so cool about you, Saul, is that, I mean, you had one of the coolest shows on MTV. Just for real. What year was that? I think it aired in 2008 or 2009. Yeah, 2008, 2009 on MTV. So just that, <laughs> just imagine that landscape right there. And Saul was like, hey guys, I have this brilliant idea. I want to take these like pampered entitled celebrities to mm -hmm. third world villages and show them what's really going on in the world mm. yeah it was that was a great one again i've just realized that you're on the edge of something like that was pre like before you needed a you know an activist badge or a philanthropic yes. badge within your celebrity uh um, kind of persona no judgment but like it wasn't a thing that was necessarily they were coming together and again like I love to be in that apex, that moment where culture is pushing something. And I think what I'm proud of with that show and, you know, it's just flipping the here's a celebrity, but maybe we can celebrate this person and having this experience and really kind of um, to alter the exchange of currency, if you will, of value was always mm. a big thing for me. What are our values? What are we valuing? And giving again, back to what I was speaking before, giving people experiences outside of their, that's all that's ever happened for me. I've had experiences outside of my of my comfort zone and they've transformed me. And those were like, really, we were really trying to push up against some things that were uh, said to be immovable form. Mm -hmm. You have to do it this way. You have, it's like, well, you know, we did some wild stuff on that show. We were like, we had no business doing that show. We didn't know any of the right people. We didn't, you know, it was Joaquin Phoenix helped us, you know, was the first guy to help us out and through relationship with his, his brother, may rest in peace. And, he just believed, so, you know, someone believing in you, opening the door, giving you a little bit of support. And then when it started gaining momentum, it, it, it was, we had to hold a line. Like we, we had rules. We said, okay, you can only come here. You just 
A-list celebrity, musician, actor, whatever, can only come with one other person. These are the rules. You can only come with one other person. If there's a five-star hotel, you'll be in it. And if we're sleeping, you know, under a donkey, under a tree, you'll be there. Um, with no hair, no makeup. And <laughs> we're not going to pay you because you're paid and we're going to split our profits, what we make with the people we feature. And we started having these experiences, you know, and I think that um, I'm not convinced that the frame I'm told to to work or create or live within is anything but a concept, which allows us to create a new one. Right. I love that you're constantly pushing those constraints further and further, but it just kind of made me also think about resources and how, you know, like you have a different sense of resources and resources are something that I've always really thought about as well, because if you think about a young person who's trying to make it or trying to find their way, and you're in America, especially if you're in a bigger city or even a really small city, you think of your resources as money or I don't know the right person. It's always something that's outside of you. (laughs) How do you feel about that? Like, what have you felt are your resources? Because it feels like where you draw from and how you make things happen and the routes you take towards them are never with traditional ideas of resource. Mm. I think that I've, you know, by almost by default had to exist there due to my inability to compromise on the internal resources that are God given, you know, the things that are, I am, I am blessed enough and we are all blessed enough to be born into on completely different circumstances, but there's something here that you're asked to almost give away your resources to gain access to things, like to apparently receive an entry into a doorway that's going to get you something more. If we can do that on our terms, then of course we can give and we can exchange with whoever, whatever values are there. But when you, if you start to give a piece of yourself away that compromises your own internal value and resource, then you're left depleted Yes. And you, you end up just giving and giving without being able to receive. And I don't mean it from an abstract sense. I mean, just like, I think that things should be fair and equitable and things should be uh, an abundance. Actually, abundance is created from giving, not taking. That's what the nature teaches us. A seed from a tree make a million more trees. But yet we live in an extractive society. And I think that I've always had a question mark over my head for that. I think that's as simple like, like, well, why does it have to be like that? Hmm. And I, so I think we can have a different value set, a different value exchange. And then when you start to put art and creativity into it and what we're offering and why we're creating, then it really starts to get interesting. <laughs> yes. Well, it seems that you, when you go after a project, your focus is the project. Your focus is creating something. Your, your focus is the splash of energy. It's going to change. So I'm wondering if you see money or currency or resource as something completely other. Mm, I do. I think that money is an, is a potent energy that we have the ability to transform with our intention. To If I'm being honest, I was always aware of my ability to cultivate that energy mm-hmm. and terrified about what it could do to me if I didn't have an understanding of, of how to navigate it. So for years, I just pushed it away. I would generate and give it away or be reckless or kind of this person or that person or not, not let anything kind of attach itself to me because I didn't know what it would, what I would become. 
Yes. But I did have a, in my subconscious or somewhere in there, me, there was something that I knew that there was a, I don't mean to sound dramatic, but like a monster, something that was in me, I would become something I I didn't like. Mm -hmm. And that I didn't know if I'd be able to undo that. Because it's not you. Yeah. And so what happened along the way, and I can't be like, you could sit back and be like, well, I did this and that is like, I would try to protect my heart. So I would like get into these opportunities that were on paper, like the greatest opportunity, the most money, da, 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 all these things. And I'd like shoot myself in the foot. I'd like, I'd turn at the last minute and people would look at me and be like, you know, and it was, it was interesting because socially it's like, oh, it's a failure. You didn't do what you were supposed to do or you almost made it. So I've kind of fumbled around in the dark because I couldn't put, I couldn't put the highest value on a dollar because I don't think that's what we're here for. Right. It plays a part, but I'm interested in an alternate value system. Yeah. Thank you, Saul, so much. That really kind of inspires a lot of percolating in me personally, too, because I've noticed whenever people were trying to monetize what I wanted to offer, I felt restricted. And whenever I set out on my own where there's no money, then resources came. So it's just a different look at what brings what. And I think we've created an infrastructure in our economy that so monetizes products that we don't even know there's other things that will create prosperity, not money. Imagine if everybody did what you guys do. They were like, oh, I'm a creative. I know this is what, I don't know everything that I want to do yet, but I know I want to do this. And I know this needs to be addressed in society. So I want to give by creating or redesigning so that people have access to this. So then all the people that are involved in your project prosper. And all the people that receive the gift of your what you created prosper. And little do we know that is an economy, that by itself. And imagine if service was the root of the economy, which I think it really is anyway. If you look at businesses, if you even look at corporations at their very beginning, when they were embryos of thought, they actually were to serve something that was not available in society. And that creates prosperity. That resonates with me so deeply. It's like I've had this, you stay, you look up one day and realize you've been asking yourself the same questions for a very long time and using your practice and your life's journey to put them forward. And, and it, it takes you into another one. But I've always kind of wondered about that extractive kind of unit of industry that it, it, we've monetized everything. We've built systems that essentially don't have care for people woven into or at the center of them. There's an idea that could even be a good concept, but immediately it goes into an abstraction of a unit of sale, which is within a capitalist system. It's okay. It's all good. We all participate. It's extractive by nature. So it lives outside of you. And then you're, we begin to like, from an artistic standpoint, we begin to say, okay, well, what is your value here? You know, a million dollar painting or a number one record or a, an Oscar award that lives outside of you when in fact art and creativity and the artist's role is actually there's these, um, this cultural currency I would, I would offer that 
weaves a fabric of society together that is born of, you know, an emotional tapestry of, of joy, compassion, confrontation, uh, pain, healing, these things that are inherent to human being, not doing. That unit of sale of let's use art as the, you know, that's the place I know, but I think it's even wider. That idea, if we're being generous, is 150 years old. Mm-hmm. Of that artistic practice lives in that industry of sale and, and, and extractive exchange. But if we look back in time, memorial, all the way back, the art that has been created and the artist's role in society was very simple. It was and is, I believe, in service of people in reverence of what is greater than you. Yes. That is what energetically the things we look back upon or perhaps even can look forward to that take our breath away. That is where the beauty of nature lives. That is where the, the, the stories that have been held and passed on for generations live. And I, I believe deeply in this moment we're in, if we can pull ourselves out of that abstraction and put our energy here, mm. that feels like we'll contribute to something collectively that I believe literally hundreds of millions of people are doing in this moment to energetically in some way, this is where I get, like, I'm way out of my realm here, but energetically shift something like that feels comfortable and safe and empowering to me to serve that energy not this new and this probably thing has probably had its its lifespan as well it's like Mm -hmm. I'm trying to put my energy there Mm. yes into spaces and point to possibilities that are that have care for people at their core that are generative and abundant for the people who are participating in those and who you're exchanging with that's human and weaving the divine with the human always puts us in right place, that golden thread that creates, cultivates consciousness and civilizations, not its deterioration. Those are the things that last. They're not trendy. That's true. But even the things, for example, that are trends, Smishi, when you create trends, when you initiate trends, for people think they're getting a product that's why I respect you so much and admire you because I know that what you're really doing is creating, even if it's a piece of clothing, you're creating a garment that allows a person to face reality and bring all they are to it. It's like it has superpowers and you could see it because everybody wants to wear it and go back out into the world That's a trend, yet it's like footprints, what Saul was saying earlier. It's footprints that are still emanations from that one thread. Hmm. I think that that's a thing. We transcend our environments through our choices that we make, right? Like so much of the abstraction of what keeps us trapped. And when I speak of these things, I, I really like, I pray that, they're felt of their intention, which is from my experience. I'm not trying to project these ideas onto people. I'm sharing my experience because it. I'm kind of blown away. We can choose how we want to engage with this thing that we're born into. I'm a participant in it, but I can begin to offer and navigate a different way through it that is of my own design, you know, and doesn't have to be, again, to take from others, you know, there's abundance is truly, say it again, it's created by giving. So it's like, you know, I'm hopeful even in these times that are just so 
uncertain. Mm. I think that the the opposite of that is a sense of desperation or survival, where it is all or nothing, where people feel, I mean, I think we all go into survival mode in different ways all the time. It just looks different. But for a lot of people, it's all or nothing. You know, it's like either I do this thing or I'm nothing. And then there's also this sense of desperation, of just wanting to be there for yourself, whatever that is, wherever that is, that it's just kind of by any means necessary. Well, Mm. this is how the world is, so I'm going to do what the world does. And unless I do that, I'm never going to get ahead because I think there's this mentality of like, why should I be the good one and suffer versus do what everybody else is doing and then just get ahead? So I'm just wondering, and this question is for both of you, I think. It's like, how do you or how did you not prescribe to that? Because that's so easy to do. And I I think I did that most of my teen life. Like I cut corners, I stole, you know, I didn't know better. I just thought that, yeah, I'm going to get ahead. I mean, I think the the amount of things that I did that I, you know, that did those exact things, you know, it's not always kind in my heart in the way and treatment of others or the way, you know, the like things that were, yeah, like you say, stealing or like kind of not like taking advantage of like putting my needs for, first where, you know, is a, I didn't even cut, I wasn't raised like that, but you kind of emerge into the world trying to find your space and there's no space made for you. And that becomes, you know, you're trying to find identity and you begin to like take you just make space. And I think over time, the only thing that flipped it was back to those, for me, was ex- those experiences when I began to know more and meet people along the way who, who gave to me to ask me questions, show me different ways. You can't undo learning or knowledge. Mm. You can try to stuff it away, but then it's almost like you're doing yourself such a disservice to adhere to these things, you know? Did you seek it or did it find you, do you feel? I think a combination. Mm. I think the option found me, the road kind of like the fork in the road came early in my life. You know, I lost three friends between 18 and 21 due to violence um, around these kind of options that unfortunately for young, even in Vancouver, Canada, or a little big town of BC, I first grew up with a teenager in Vancouver, these options that are there for you, which is kind of a street gangster thing or a creative arts or, you know, like expression. These are like the things that we, we loved both, if I'm being honest. We were hip hop kids in the nineties and both were so appealing to us. We were looking for our identity and the, the expression of music came as a pathway. The other option, our friends, some of our friends chose and we lost them. So I think what I started to see was like, okay, you got choice here. Initially the music was a first step, but then as that, I realized that that was a much wider path. Then I began seeking mm-hmm. because I was presented as like, okay, you can go down that road, but mm-hmm. I saw my friends die. And I was scared. I didn't want to go to, I didn't want to end up in jail. I didn't want to be in a place of, of emotional and physical violence, of this paranoia, of that, of, of also of like it being entrapped by the things that I thought I wanted to make me a man. I didn't have any of the language for it. Mm, wow. 
That's such a profound awakening. But I also relate to it in a weird way because I know when I was growing up, I was acutely experiencing not wanting to be a part of any group. Not that that was a problem because no group wanted me unless I was exclusively going to give myself away and subscribe to their social, whatever that, their cult ethos of that group was. And it hurt me to think that I would be exclusive to others. So no matter what group it was, whether it was cultural or ethnic or financial, I just didn't belong and I knew it. So I had this epiphany where I was like, wow, nobody can reach out to me. Nobody can embrace me. Maybe I should embrace everyone. Maybe it's because I'm supposed to be the one that embraces them and just do it solo. And the minute I decided to do that, everything clicked. I knew that's who I was. It was like one little step in my journey. And right after that, two of my girlfriends were also, like me, super shy, the sweetest ever. And they were both murdered when I turned 18, and they turned 18. And they were murdered by freak things, freak accidents, where it was mistaken identity, wrong place at the wrong time, in a troubled era, in a troubled place. But when they died so quickly like that, when they were so on their, like, they had found who they were, and they were making the world a better place so profoundly, I think it also made me go, oh, this world is very temporary. So I better choose my steps wisely because, oh, they're gone at 18. I could be gone at 18. So what do I want to leave this place with if this is my last year? Mm. And I think that's how I've lived ever since. Simple. Give you simple, profound, but simple choices. I relate to that. You know, I think that it's a lot. It's a lot. And Smish, you did the same thing from when you were 10, when your dad passed, But you just creatively walked your walk differently, but you're still in there (laughs) factoring in, oh, this is where this will take me. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) You were just very brave. I think that's the difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's almost a knowing, you know, there's a a line in the film where my father says, found it was one of the first things that really jumped out to me when I was watching those tapes for the first time. He says, I always thought I'd do something different than those Mm -hmm. around me. I didn't know what that was, mm. but I thought I'd do something different than the people I was growing up with. And so this, as a young, as a boy in the 50s and a little black boy in Kansas City, Missouri, like, what is that thing that you would do different? And what is that knowing of, of understanding that you have that possibility within you? You know, and in his case, the different was, they think he's going to be a doctor, a lawyer, to become famous. I mean, what he did was he broke the circle and cycle of his circumstance by getting out of, by changing his environment, by having the courage to go to a place unknown and to plant roots and reset his family that gave me and my sisters so much. And also the roots that remain where he's from of my elder sister and brother who weren't able to have as much, but still found their own way. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that that choice or that knowing, if we conserve that in ourselves, 
then I think we can transcend our circumstance and there's no measure of what that equal, like of, oh, you did or you didn't. If you can listen to what's inside of you and follow that, wherever it takes you, it could be a block away from your home. It could be 10 times around the world or into outer space. You will live differently. Yes. Wait, so when your dad said that, when he said, I thought I'd do something different, do you think at the point where he was saying that, he thought that he had? I believe so, because, you know, later on, he says that he kind of says that maybe what it was, was to get out of that cycle, to be Mm. the only black person in different situations, to create a new environment and a place of safety for himself. Mm. Imagine if we could celebrate that in society. Mm -hmm. He didn't become famous. He didn't make a million dollars. He didn't do, there's all the things you could say that aren't special. And then you could say what he meant as a friend, what he represented to who he became as a man and who he was as a father, what he represented to his friends who in sharing this film have began reaching out to me. People I haven't heard of from in 20 plus years who are the men who, whose legs I ran through as a child talking about who he was to them, mm-hmm. the memories that were brought back and what remains, you know, so you can become and offer something so valuable to this world by honoring yourself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's where it's hard. Um, you know, like when he said that to me, that was kind of poignant because I was like, maybe he thinks he did that. I was like, I don't think he really knows how much he changed the trajectory of everything by doing that. Mm. Maybe he had some unclear thoughts about whether he left some people behind. And I think that's the difficult part is like when we do feel like we have to honor ourselves when we know something is right for us, oftentimes it's not right for a lot of people around us, but we have to do it anyway And his life was such a beautiful example of that. You know, when we went to Standing Rock, Saul, and I was talking to Josie and Trey, our friends that live on the reservation. Well, they don't live on the reservation. They live nearby. How it's so frowned upon to leave the reservation. Because if you leave, you're abandoning the culture. You're abandoning the reservation like, Who's going to be there now? But then a lot of people, if they stay, they suffer, you know, the circumstances of what's there, which is, you know, could be alcoholism or could be anything, you know, I just want to recognize that. Like, I know that this is the thing that we're supposed to do. And I know that this is the thing that we talk about all the time to honor yourself and to do it. But I feel that we need to have conversation about it more because The only reason why I was able to do that was because I had support. I had a friend like you, Saul, who saw me. And then I had a friend like you, Smushi. Without you, I couldn't have done that. And when people say you have chosen family, that's almost what it had to become because it was really difficult with my real family or with my other friends. Mm, But don't you think it's because we have never been taught process? So, one, we're unfamiliar with why we're here, which is evolution. We're here to improve whatever we inherited. We don't get to choose what we inherited, but we do get to choose what we do with it as raw materials, like your palate. Mm. But we haven't been taught a thing about process. And if you were taught from the very beginning, you would begin to immediately, like, 
look at the world around you that you inherited and see what you can turn into a tool, transformation. You know, Saul, in your film, one thing really pierced me about your father is he so conveys with such confidence and transparency that he is in both places at once. (laughs) The no apologies. We don't have to apologize for what we don't know yet and what we mess up. And then when we know better and we realign ourselves each time, then we're accountable. We have to be accountable. And that's what you conveyed about your father, which is why he becomes an icon. Because we can go, oh, wait, I can do that. Mm. And also, I can forgive that because nobody comes from perfection. Mm, wow. Nobody comes from perfection. It's true. And, you, and you're like, uh, you know, Mel, I think what you said is so, you know, I never want to um, trivialize or simplify or negate the barriers that exist within around all of us. And, and, and as you kind of find yourself in different circumstances, how much larger the barriers can become. I never want to, you know, just be, you know, like pull yourself up. by None of that stuff is real. Mm-hmm. Circumstance in your environment or, if it, you, you know, there are big challenges. I thought about when you were saying that, Mo, is that like leaving what you know behind, yet carrying it deeply in your heart mm-hmm. is like kind of this circle. And who knows how far you'll come back on that circle to return to the place that you come from, you may return, you may only make it a little way out. Like I think about my dad's journey, like he made it a certain place and I was able to pick it up and and perhaps bring it back to a place he couldn't. Yeah. I'm not going to say I healed anything or I did. That's not it. What I did is I maybe touched the place that was too sharp in his time as his son being able to just maybe soften a bit of the edges for on behalf of my children and others. And so I think that mm. that thing can be kept here and it can be expansive even outside of your, your circumstances. And I think even for those who will never get the opportunity to do that because the barriers are just too high, then we owe it to those of us who have the opportunity of this privilege. We have a deep responsibility to honor that and do it well and be kind, be loving and be uh, move with care. And as opposed to uh, violence, if you will, this kind of violent nature of, of thought, of individualism, of expression. I'm not with that. Maybe that, that's just the little space I occupy, at least whatever I put out, I'm going to try to live there. I love that. The other thing I just want to like add is like, man, like the challenges that these come with are only equal to the joy and the wonder and the, and the, the beauty that comes along, right? Like there's these two things go together. There's a lot of emotional, but like the laughter, the, the you know, with humor, with curiosity, what you can live and enjoy that are things you can receive that are valuable outside of a financial return or any of these things when you step into the unknown. That's all I'm talking about. Step into the unknown and you'll begin to receive things that embolden your spirit and give you strength that you kind of didn't know you had. I, uh, before I ran away from social media, I had a hashtag I was very proud of, which was the richest man in the world. <laughs> and I believe that I, that I am the richest man in the world. I truly believe that. And, and when I say that, I mean, you know, I have two beautiful children who teach me it's more about the world on a daily, a daily basis. I have a wealth and treasure trove of experiences that are literally priceless. 
I've been fortunate enough not ever to want for anything. I have a relative safety. My kids have, uh, have never been hungry. They've always had a roof over their head, have always been provided for when we had nothing. So like, what more could I ask for? I am the richest man in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then what of that responsibility is only one thing, to give as much as I've, uh, more, more, more than I've ever received. Yeah. Well, that's why we were talking about resources with you, because you see endless resources when other people see nothing there. What a beautiful, beautiful trait. Before we close out in our our conversation together, um, Melody and I were dying (laughs) to start this uh, pattern to ask at the end a parting question, which is, if there is something you would like to see in your life or your lifetime that you have yet to see, or you would leave us with something, what would it be? I think uh, a space and culture that allows us to speak of faith, speak of God, speak of what is greater than us without the um, restrictions and borders that we put between each other because of those difference of faith. I would love to see more of those conversations and creations and elations of bringing that, the creator, the most high into the center of the zeitgeist without apology, without changing names, without um, deference, but like with questions and curiosity and joy. I think a lot lives there for us in a society that centers that in an inclusionary way. Um, it's a very optimistic, uh, but that's what I hope and inshallah, that's what our children can bring us. And if I can experience that in more moments, I'd be grateful because I can learn. Love that. I pray that day is unfolding. Perhaps we're in it, you know, perhaps we're in it. You never know, you know, what I'll say is that you say these prayers and we set these intentions um, on what we want to see or what could be possible in the world. What I've found is that, you know, intentions are so powerful and our ability to manifestation, they come, they, 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 are, they do arrive. You know, like my auntie used to say, LaDonna used to tell me, uh, mm. you said it, you made it that way. Mm. So these things arrive, but what I will say is that they rarely ri- arrive in the shape that we've held in our heart or, or desired. You know, you're like, if I could just have a circle, if I could just have a circle, if I could just have a circle, and all of a sudden the square arrives. And you're like, oh, I don't want a square. <laughs> I want a circle. Yet if you stay with that square, you embrace it and you maybe begin to massage the, the edges and it mm-hmm. the edges come off. Well, what does that square become? It becomes a circle. Mm-hmm. So I try to be grateful for what arrives into my life. For I wouldn't be there if I didn't have the capacity to go through it. And so perhaps these ideas we wish for are present and we just have to be more aware. Or perhaps um, they're yet to arrive yet, but I'm here for it. I love you, Saul. <laughs> oh, man, I wish you guys we did this every day. We'll do more. We'll do more. And yeah. I, I'm, so, I'm so grateful. And um, I'll talk to you guys soon. Love you, Saul. Take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs> And that's our show. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find the Butterfly Forecast every Tuesday with a new episode available wherever you do your podcasting. Apple, Spotify, Google, Stitcher. Hope to see you then. We'll see you next time.
Thank you.